Go ahead and grab a Bible, turn to John chapter 16. We are today uh, in, a, in week two of a series that we've been calling uh, Counterculture, Jesus' Call to Live to live differently. And so the first week of the series, we talked about uh, God just calling us to live differently, to love um, in, the, in a world that is very unloving. And so this morning, I want us to talk about a power that's really not of this world. I want us to talk about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit really empowers us to, to be different and to live differently. And we're going to read a passage from John uh, chapter 16, and we're going to begin at verse 7 through verses 15, and I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand together as we read the Word of God this morning. And so this is Jesus speaking with the disciples, and he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. So one of, the, one of the great spiritual writers of last century is a, is a preacher and pastor by the name of A.W. Tozer. And Tozer was very much aware of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he had these words that I, I really want us to consider this morning. He says this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. The Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church. 95% of what they did would stop, and everyone would know the difference. These are hard words, aren't they? And I think what Tozer is really trying to get at is that many times in the church, we, you know, we uh, often function just like any other organization, just like any other business. You know, we make plans and we manage people and budgets and projects and we, we have good ideas and we implement good ideas and we have the best of intentions and there's certainly nothing wrong with those things. I think it becomes wrong when those things are by themselves. I think it becomes wrong when we are by ourselves. And I think as a church, God has called us to be a counterculture, to be different from the world. We're called to live differently from the world around us and to realize that the kingdom of God really doesn't advance like the kingdoms of this world advance. You see, the church doesn't advance by relying on our own strength or our own resources or our own power. But the the church advances in the power of the Holy Spirit, relying on the strength and the resources of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. And so what I think he means by that is, without Jesus, we can do nothing. And so the reality is, is that there's really nothing of any lasting importance. There's, no, there's nothing that we can do that has any spiritual significance apart from the Holy Spirit, no matter, no matter how good and creative it is. And so it's the Holy Spirit who unites us to the person and work of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to be the people that God has called us to be, to live as a counterculture. So what I want to do this morning is I want to I want to just answer three very simple questions related to the Holy Spirit, related to this power that is, that is not of this world. I really want to try to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? You see, there's a lot of confusion about that. And then I want to answer the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? Because there's a lot of confusion about that. And then I want to paint a picture of what it looks like to practically rely and depend on the Holy Spirit, because there's some confusion even about that. So let's, take a, let's look at the first one, who is the Holy Spirit? You know, according to a survey by uh, Lifeway Publishing, 46% of Christians say that the Holy Spirit is a force, that he's not a personal being. So just think about that. Church. Half the church in the United States views the Holy Spirit as some kind of force, like in Star Wars or something. And, and so half the church believes he is not a person. But the truth of the matter is the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And specifically, he is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Son, Jesus, is God. And so these three are one God existing in three persons, and they are of the same substance, equal to one another in power and glory. And so because the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit has always been present. He's been present from the very beginning. In other words, there's never been a time when the Holy Spirit didn't exist. And so he has always been. And you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 2, and it the writer of Genesis even reminds us of this, that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the face of the waters. And so, so this is the Holy Spirit and he has been present and active in the world since the very beginning. He is worthy, church, of our worship and our adoration, our delight our joy. He is worthy of our obedience, just as God the Father and God the Son are worthy of the same. And so what you see as you read through the Old Testament, you, you really have this picture of the Holy Spirit's work, working even throughout the Old Testament, but he doesn't really come into fullness until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You remember Jesus told the disciples in the early followers of Jesus, about 120 of them, to go into the upper room and to pray and to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And that is exactly what they did. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God came down on the room as in tongues of fire, like the, the rushing of a mighty wind. 
And so the early Christians and the apostles began to speak in tongues. They, they, they began to be completely changed and transformed because of this power that was not of this world. And so they were empowered to pray and to love and to witness and, and to minister in the name of Jesus, which you see that unfolding throughout the book of Acts. And so Jesus says, even before all of that was to take place, in the very passage that we read, John chapter 16, he says something interesting about the the Holy Spirit. He says this in verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, how can it be better that Jesus is not here physically? I mean, he's got to be mistaken, right? I mean, we could really use Jesus, really use Jesus on the earth today uh, physically. We could really use him because our world is, is so messed up. But what Jesus is saying is, he's really saying it's to my advantage that I leave because what happens when he leaves, he ascends into heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit to us. And so what, what happens is the Spirit of God dwells not only with God's people, but he dwells in God's people and then he gifts God's people. And all of that's possible because of Jesus' ascension back into heaven. And so, and so now why is it that he has to ascend back into heaven before he can send the Holy Spirit? I think that's the natural next question here. Well, he tells us in verse 14 of our passage, Jesus tells us, he, meaning the Spirit, will glorify me. So what the job of the Holy Spirit is, is to make much of Jesus to glorify him and to lift him up. And so unless Jesus goes to the cross and is crucified and buried and raised on the third day and ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God, then then the Son is not glorified. So what the Spirit of God does is he inhabits the church, he fills the church, he indwells the church so that through the church we are bringing glory to the Son as the Son is seated on the throne. And so it's through us that the Spirit works to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. That is our job description as a church. Very simply, to bring glory and honor to Him. Now that is, that is what the Holy Spirit that is who the Holy Spirit is. He, he inhabits us. He dwells within us. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he does at least 12 things that I want to share with you this morning. The Holy Spirit does at least 12 things. This is not an exhaustive list. And, and I, I realize, you know, when I'm preaching, I don't normally give you a list of 12 things because I know uh, that's not always easy to absorb. But um, these are really important that we understand and grasp them. And so, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit and have asked him to help you really absorb and build these into your life. So let me just, let me just kind of list these off for you. First and foremost, the Spirit convicts. That is what the Holy Spirit does, is he convicts. So you see this in, in our passage, John 16, 8. He says this, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness in judgment. So what he's telling us is the job of the Holy Spirit, part of his role, is to convict of sin. And and really that word convict, it just means to simply show our guilt. 
What the Holy Spirit does is he opens our eyes to the fact that we are wrong, that we've sinned. And he convicts us of that. He opens our eyes to that because many times we're blind to that. We don't want to admit that. We don't want to, we don't want to take responsibility. And so it takes that gentle nudging of the Spirit to show that we've done something wrong. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against another person. And so what this accomplishes for us is it helps us to see we are sinners in need of a Savior. It helps us to see our need for God. Because without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, none of us would be Christians. And so you begin to see, even right there, how dependent we are on the Holy Spirit. Because if it were not for the Holy Spirit, you would not have been convicted of your sin and you would not have been brought to Jesus. That's how dependent you already are on the Spirit. Number two, the Spirit not only convicts, but He regenerates. Look at Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So what he's saying is this. He's saying God has saved us by washing and the renewing and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says in that passage. Now, the Bible says that we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. The Bible says that, you know, because we were dead in our transgressions and sins... The thing about being dead is a dead person can't believe in Jesus. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to wash us, renew us, and regenerate us so that we are born again, so that we can believe in Jesus. And that is exactly the work of the Holy Spirit. He causes us to be born again. It's the Spirit of God that enables us to believe in Jesus. That's the work that he does. And it's the regenerating work of the Spirit. Number three, the Spirit baptizes. Now, this language is not entirely precise uh, because it's not actually the Spirit who baptizes. Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. So it's Jesus who baptizes his church. He baptizes his sons and daughters with the Holy Spirit. So just as John the baptizer baptized with water, so Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks and slaves are free, and all were made to drink one spirit. You see, the spirit baptizes us. Jesus baptizes us with the Spirit. And what this does is this baptism of the Holy Spirit unites us with Jesus and it unites us with one another. So it's a spiritual union. And that's exactly what happens through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different traditions within the church that, that believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is different from the way that I'm describing uh, but it is our conviction that, that a person who is, who is in Christ is baptized with the Spirit of God 
the moment they believe in Jesus, the moment they commit their lives to Christ. It's, it happens at that moment. And so really, if you're a Christian, you are already dependent on the Holy Spirit because you have already been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is one of his very many ministries. Number four, the Spirit seals. Now this is an interesting one. The Spirit seals us. So we see this in Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, he says, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. So this also happens at the moment of salvation. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, the Spirit's work in sealing us does two things. This sealing work of the Spirit is an indicator of the new life that we have in Christ. That we literally have new heaven and new earth living inside of us. So you know one day God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth and combine them and that's where we're going to spend eternity, okay? So that is so real as a believer, that new heaven and new earth is already inside of you. It's already there. It is real as rain. That's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But there's a second piece of the sealing of the Holy Spirit and that is this, that sealing functions as a guarantee that all that God has promised to you in salvation will be fulfilled. It's gonna happen. God is gonna carry through all of his promises and the spirit of God residing in you is like a seal guaranteeing that God's part is going to be absolutely done. What this practically means is that you cannot become a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit and you can't stay a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are already dependent on the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Number five, the Spirit sanctifies. The Spirit sanctifies. And so the Holy Spirit is really the one who, who takes the blood of Christ and applies it to us so that we have a new position in our relationship with God. We're, we're no longer enemies with God. We've been made right with God. We've been justified with him. But not only have we been justified, the spirit also sanctifies us in our position with Christ. And not only that, not only do we have a new position where we have this new place positionally, but we're also, what the spirit does as he works inside of our hearts is he is working to make us holy and righteous actually. So not only are we holy positionally, but he's in the work, in the progress of making us holy actually. And that is his work within us. It's an amazing thing. Listen to how this is described in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, meaning there's nothing that blocks us from seeing what God is doing in our lives, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another and that sense is to another and to another and to another. Uh, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now this is an amazing thing. 
If you're feeling kind of bad about yourself, you need to let that feeling go. Because the reality is, he that began a good work in you, which was the Holy Spirit, will carry that work to completion. He will carry it to glory after glory after glory. And so you cannot be more and more like Jesus apart from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Praise be to God. And then six, the Spirit fills. He fills. We see this from Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, um, but be filled with the Spirit. So what the Spirit does is he fills his people. Just like, just like if you're drinking too much wine, you know, too much alcohol, and you become intoxicated, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God fills us much in the same way, and He leads us, and He influences us, and He directs us, and He works in us, uh, and He works through us, just as too much wine will work through someone who's intoxicated. And so the Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life. And uh, that's what the filling of the Holy Spirit does. Seven, the Spirit empowers us. He empowers us. Notice the words of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God, church, empowers us to witness, to share the word of Christ, the gospel of Jesus. He gives us the power to do it. And so you already have that in you. You're already relying on the Holy Spirit because the power is at work within you. Eight, the Spirit assures us. The Spirit assures us. Romans 8.15 says it like this. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, or, or in other words, Poppy, or Papa, or Daddy. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, are children of God. And so what the Spirit of God does it within us is he talks to our spirit. He witnesses to our spirit. And do you know what he tells us? He tells us we're children of God. So that we don't have to doubt our salvation. We don't have to worry whether or not we're, we're saved or not or part of the family of God because the spirit of sonship enables us to call God our Father. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so apart from the Spirit's internal witness to, to your spirit, you really cannot know that you are a child of God. So church, you're already dependent on the Holy Spirit because he is reminding you of your identity in the family of God as a child of God. Number nine, the Spirit illuminates. The Spirit illuminates. Now this is, this is an interesting one because we are a people that, that live in darkness, right? We, we're a people that need illumination. We need light. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Now we've We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, he says, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And so what God has done is he's given us the prophets, he's given us the apostles, he has given us his word. Now get this, church, 
It is the Spirit of God that illuminates the Word of God so that we can understand it. So you can't even come to church and get anything out of church apart from the Spirit of God. You can't open the Bible and read it. You can't go to a Bible study and, and, and study it in community and get anything out of it apart from the Spirit of God. You are so dependent on the Holy Spirit for your growth, you need Him to illuminate the truth of Scripture. Number 10, this is very closely related to the, Spirit, the Spirit's illuminating work, and that is this, the Spirit teaches. The Spirit teaches. John 16, verse 13 When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are come. So so in other words, we cannot grasp the truth of God's word apart from the Holy Spirit's work. We need his spirit to help us grasp the things of God, the things that he has revealed to us. So you are already dependent on the Holy Spirit if you are grasping his word and his truth. All right, now two more. Number 11, the Spirit prays. The Spirit prays. Notice Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, he says. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you know that the Holy Spirit of God is interceding for you right now? He's praying for you right now. And there are times in your life and times in my life when we don't really know how to pray and we're so distressed, and we're so distraught, we don't, we, we don't really pray as we ought, we don't pray rightly. And so what the Spirit does out of His love and grace is He comes alongside of us and He takes those prayers and He just turns them the right way. He turns them to the heart of the Father and He prays for us according to the will of the Father on our behalf. What this means practically is this. You can't even pray without the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's how much you depend on it. That, that's how much you need him. And then number 12, the Spirit gifts. Now, in, in the Bible, there's, I think, three different lists of spiritual gifts that are given to us uh, in the New Testament. And then notice what Paul says about these gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions gifts, that is. He, he gives out gifts to each one individually as he wills, as he wills. And so this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He, he has given every single one of you at least probably two spiritual gifts, at least, so that you can contribute to the body of Christ, so that you can serve the body of Christ and build up and encourage the body of Christ. And that gift, those gifts that you have are, are endowed to you. They are apportioned to you by the Holy Spirit. Your job is to discern what those gifts are and to develop those gifts and to use them for the glory of God and the encouragement of his church. Now, these are just 12 things that the Holy Spirit does. Now, church, do you see how dependent you are on the Holy Spirit? Do you see how active he is? How much he's working in your life? 
So when a, when a pastor like John Piper says, you know, at any given moment, God's doing a thousand things in our life and we may be aware of one or two of them. Do you see what he's talking about at this point? Because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Church, you can't be born again apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't share your faith in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't experience the presence of God, the encouraging presence of God in your life apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't be made holy and sanctified apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't even be aware of your sin in your life without the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel a little helpless? Can I get an amen to that? Aren't we a little helpless? And so, and so you should feel helpless because, because just as a child cannot protect and provide for itself or take care of itself, we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I think as I, as I just consider this, I, I just marvel, church, at all the Spirit of God does for us. Like he does at least those 12 things and a whole lot more, and we're unworthy of all of those things. Like we deserve none of that. We didn't earn that. We didn't achieve that. He's not doing that because we're good people, you know, because we're worth saving. He just does it just because. And that's what he does. Now, what does dependence on the Holy Spirit look like very practically? Like, what does this look like? What does it mean to really depend upon the Holy Spirit? You're already depending on him. What I want to challenge you to do is to be consciously dependent on him. I want you to be seeking him and aware and, and really and really pursuing him so that you're consciously every day depending on the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to give you just five ways that you can depend upon the Holy Spirit today. And before I give you those five, let me just tell you what it looks like just real fast, okay? Because this is, this is really simple. Here's what it looks like. It looks like Jesus. That's what depending upon the Holy Spirit looks like. It just looks like Jesus. And so the more you look like Jesus, the more you're depending on, on him, on the Holy Spirit in your life. And so, and so when you think about it, Jesus lived his entire life and ministry dependent on the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that Jesus emptied himself of his position. He left his throne in heaven. And we don't even know the full way of explaining this, but he emptied himself of many of his divine prerogatives. And he took on human flesh, which is what we're going to celebrate in, in just a few weeks, you know, on Christmas Eve. He took on human flesh and he became one of us. And during his life in ministry, he lived his life in ministry dependent on the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit of God, living by a power not of this world. And so we see it in his birth. Jesus is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is incredible. That is breathtaking when you think about it. And then you fast forward to Matthew, you know, uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 4, you see the Spirit uh, falls or descends 
on Jesus in the form of a dove, and there's this voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And so this is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus receives the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as at his baptism. And this empowerment of the Spirit is different in the life of Jesus than anything he had experienced prior to that. And his life was different following that experience. He was consciously depending on the Holy Spirit throughout those ministry years. Let me, let me just show you this. this is the, I could have listed dozens of examples of this, but let me just show you from Luke chapter 4, three that I think are very significant. Look at, look at Luke chapter 4 verse 1. It says this, Luke tells us, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. You see that? Full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, why did he go in the wilderness? Because the Spirit led him. He was full of the Spirit, and the Spirit led him to be tempted, led him out into the, into the wilderness. Look at verse 14 of Luke 4. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he's, he is walking and returning and ministering and teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing. Verse 18 of the same chapter so Jesus goes back to Nazareth, he goes to a, in a synagogue, he reads a passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah, which is a prophecy about him, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed." So what you see is Jesus is proclaiming he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has anointed him and has sent him to the earth. He is the Christ. Now, for the longest time throughout the Old, throughout the Old Testament, there was a huge temple built in the city of Jerusalem. And the purpose of the temple was to house the very presence of God on the earth. That's the purpose of the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so this, this temple was the physical place, the manifestation of the very presence of God on the earth. But you know what? The temple is gone. It's no longer there. And because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, guess where the new temple is? It's all of you. Paul tells us in Corinthians, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your very body is the residence of the presence of God on the earth. Isn't that incredible to think about? Like you don't have to go to a temple to find the presence of God because the presence of God, the kingdom of God, is already within you. Pretty incredible when you think about it. Now, what does it mean practically to rely on the Holy Spirit? There are a lot of Christians that don't depend on the Holy Spirit. That's why you see them doing selfish things and sinful things. Because they're not relying on the Spirit of God. They're relying on themselves. And so for us to be the counterculture, for us to be what God wants us to be, we need to 
depend on the Holy Spirit. Let me give you these five ways. Number one, we pray. We pray. We depend upon the Holy Spirit by prayer because we realize we can't do anything apart from the Spirit of God. That's how much we need Him. I can't be a dad without the Spirit of God. I can't be a husband without the Spirit of God. I certainly can't be a pastor without the Spirit of God. I can't even be a Christian without the Spirit of God. So therefore, I'm always praying because I realize how much I need Jesus and how much I need His Spirit. And so that's why we're praying. We're praying and asking Him for everything because we know that we need His everything to be what God wants us to be. Acts chapter 2, verses 42, you see the early Christians, the early church got this. They figured this out right from the get-go. Luke tells us this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. And And so the people that are the most dependent on the Holy Spirit are the people that are praying the most. Because they realize, right, they realize how much they need God. They're desperate for God. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor and preacher in the 1800s in England, he said, you know, you can really judge the health of a church by the church's prayer meetings. And so that's how you, that's how you judge the strength of a church, by how much that church is praying. And so are you praying together as a family? Are we praying together as a church family? Are you praying together as a married couple? Are you praying for your kids? Is your life lived constantly in prayer? Because church, when you pray, the Spirit of God comes and you depend on Him. Secondly, what dependence on the Holy Spirit looks like is we give. We give. Now I'm not talking about just money here, but certainly includes financial resources. But but what I am talking about is a life of generosity. A life with an open hand where you give your time, where you give your talent, where you give your attention, where you give your love. Because when you're relying on the Holy Spirit, you begin to realize God is a giver. And so wherever the Spirit of God is, there's giving going on. And so, and so we give of our lives, we give of our love, we give of our resources because we understand God has an unlimited supply. And that unlimited supply literally is living inside of us. So God goes, never goes without. So the more we give, the more we get back because we can't outgive God, whatever it is. He gives back to us. And so generosity is the prevailing mark of a spirit-filled church, a church that's walking in the spirit. Number three, dependence on the Holy Spirit means we read. We're readers. In other words, we are, we are men and women. We are students of one book. We're a bookish people because God has given us his book. And it's, not, it's, it's unlike any other book because this book is living and active. And so we don't have the apostles personally, but we have the apostles practically through their writings, through the New Testament, through the Old Testament. And so we're, we know that we're consciously depending on the Holy Spirit because we're reading God's Word. We're meditating on God's Word. We, we come to hear God's Word. We come to study God's Word. We sing God's Word, and we share God's Word. 
That's what we do. Number four, we know what, what dependence on the Holy Spirit looks like because we obey. We obey. Now, why do we obey? Very simply, because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you think about the 12 things that, you know, that I listed that he's doing in us all the time, we don't want that to stop. We don't want to hinder him. We don't want to roadblock him. We don't want to stiff arm him. And so, and so the way that we stiff arm him, the way that we grieve him and quench him is just through sinfulness, through, through you know, how we're speaking to other people. We slander or gossip or curse or whatever, or you know, think lustful thoughts or jealous thoughts. These are spirit blockers in our life. They hinder the work. They frustrate the grace of God at work within us. And so we're very conscious about that because we don't want to veer off the path. But if we do veer off the path, we know that God's grace is available to us to confess and repent and get right back on it. Get right back on it. And so that's what it means to depend upon the Holy Spirit. We obey. And then lastly, number five, we show the fruit of the Spirit. We show fruit of the Spirit. Now let me show you this from Galatians 5.19 because he really paints us two pictures here. Here's the first picture. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. He lists all of these sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Sounds like our world today. Uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so then he gives us a picture of the counterculture, okay? He gives us a completely different picture. And he says, this is, this is the people of God right here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, and against such things there is no law. See, the government can't outlaw any of that. They can't touch that. And so that is produced when we walk in faith, when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is our birthright, which is the gift that Jesus has sent to us. And what happens is the manifestation of this fruit ultimately points to the glory of Jesus. It ultimately points to making much of Jesus. Whether we're at school or at work or at home or in our neighborhood, we make much of Jesus. You know why? Because he made much of us. He died for us. He went to the cross for us so that we could know him and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit today. And so that's who God has called the church to be. That is what God has called the church to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pray. And our prayer today is very simple. Father, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us afresh and anew with your very presence, with your power, a power not of this world? And God, I just pray that we would just be lifted up 
because of the power of your spirit at work within us. And I ask that those of us who just kind of feel empty today, we just feel drained, we just feel exhausted, we know that's not the Holy Spirit. That's just a marker that we need a touch from you. We, we need a fresh filling of you. And we're reminded that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall walk and not be weary and run and not be faint. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, would you fill us? Would you overflow out of us rivers of living water? That fruit would be the sign of your church here at Stones. And so God, renew us, fill us, convict us, illumine us, change us. We thank you and praise you and all of God's people said.